Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Deep Banking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today we look at population. We know the world's population is growing and it can't keep growing for long because we won't have the resources to support it. But what about individual countries? Could some places actually benefit from a bigger population? Today we discuss the search for the optimum population size. That's today on the Deep Banking Economics Podcast. Now, there was a survey last month which asked Australians how they felt about welcoming more people into their country. And, of course, Brexit is a sign that many don't want more people in Britain. Uh, the survey in Australia showed that 70% of the population felt that, at a little over 25 million people, Australia didn't need any more. The reasons they gave? The cost of housing, overcrowding in cities, traffic problems and job security. So, Steve, let's start in Australia. Is it overcrowded? I mean, it's one of the most sparsely populated countries on the planet. And uh, most of it's desert. And this is actually an intriguing. uh, The only continent with a lower level of precipitation on the planet is, in fact, Antarctica. Mm. And, of course, the reason Antarctica's got ice is not because it gets lots of snow, but because most of it doesn't melt. But you could still pack more people in. I mean, if you travel from Sydney, you travel up the the north coast or down the south coast. I mean, there's lots of agricultural land, lots of water. I mean, uh, Sydney, for example, has got twice the rainfall of London. There's a lot of rainfall in New South Wales. So, okay, in the deserts, you're not having a lot of rain. But there's a lot of there's a lot of land that people could be living in. It's just that they've chosen not to, isn't it? Um, to a large, to some extent, that's true. Um, and Australia still does have some spare capacity in terms of the amount of its capacity to support a larger population. So, uh, and the, the thing, this is one of my favourite pieces of research, which I'm going to donate some money to after we finish talking, because they're actually they're running up a, a campaign right now. Um, this is the, the human ecological footprint calculation, and that is showing that Australia's uh, biocapacity per giga hectare is 13.3 peoples, um, must be millions. Hang on, biopsy per person, 3.8 GHA. It can't be gigahectare, but it's it's large. <laughs> okay. Uh, 13.3 per person. Unsustainable, anyway, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, we're using 6 point, Australia's using 6.9, so it's got a capacity of 6.4, meaning it's actually got room to go before, and this is the important point, before the human species alone in Australia absorbs 100% of the regenerative capacity of the Australian uh, land. Right. This is looking at not looking at um, um, running down irre- irreplaceable resources now, but saying given that plants grow at a you know, particular rate, given the climate in the country as well, how much of what is harvestable is harvested each year by the human species alone in that planet? And the answer and this is including us, of course, running sheep and cattle and so on. It's part of the inputs to us. The answer is 6.9 GH. I still can't. I can't go into the G being giga. That's, I've got to check that out later. Hectares uh, per person. 
Well, um, well we do 6.9 know- GHA, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll leave them. <laughs> 6.9 GHA is what we're using. 13.3 GHA is what we've got available. So we've got a 6.4 GHA capacity. So Australia, in that sense, could absorb a larger population. Right. But the I just looked up GHA and uh, I got the Global Hotel Alliance, so I'm sure it's not that. <laughs> the um, <laughs> Well, both have to look into it. But look, energy consumption in Australia is twice what it is in the UK because they're bigger houses, uh, big sprawling houses with the air conditioning on all the time. So if we were looking at, um, you know, the best answer for the planet, if we were just looking at it in terms of uh, footprints, then we'd probably say, yeah, the best thing to do actually is everyone leaves Australia, moves to the UK and lives in a small house uh, where they don't need the air conditioning. And that would be that, that, that would be better for the environment. And what you find is, and this is, it comes down to the, uh, the, the biocapacity element as well. Biocapacity per person is 1.2 GHAs. The footprint is literally four times that in the UK, 4.8 GHA. So the deficit for the UK is 3.6 GHA per year. So mm. we've got... Well, how can that be? How can that be if we're consuming? Agenda of explaining what GHA actually means once we both research it later, Matt. But uh, Uh, it's it's also the Glasgow Housing Association. Um, It's. And there a million of them. The Ghost Hunters Academy. Uh, there's there's lots of GHAs. I'll look uh, it up on the site after we finish, and you can you can whack it in there. But that that's the UK is for it is actually using the, the looking at the land usage in the UK in general. It's using four times the renewable capacity of the UK. Well, how can that useful. how can that be when it's consuming half the energy per capita? Of Australia, which I find uh, find a bit strange. It but- comes it comes back to the agricultural land that's available. Yeah, the amount of agriculture. But it's the the, the the calculation for the global foot, footprint uh, has two elements to it, and I'm sure there'll be some people uh, who will be saying, "Oh, that's why it's nonsense." Uh, is that the largest component of it now by far is the carbon dioxide footprint, mm. global warming. However, uh, if we go back to 1961, when the calculations have been taken back to including uh, carbon dioxide generation, we're running at 0.75 times. We, we, the human population in the total was consuming 0.75 times the capacity of the planet. It is now consuming 1.7 times. Now, if you leave out the global warming, but completely leave out carbon dioxide, so we're not talking about anything that's going to raise the hands of the, the uh, de- deniers there, um, it used to be 0.4. It is now running at about point. 6.7. So even leaving out completely the impact of carbon dioxide load on the planet, we've gone from about 0.3 or 0.4 to about 0.7 planets per year just for the human species, not for any other animals. So the wild animal population has to do with 0.3 of the planet, 30% of the planet. And all of that relates to, obviously, you can look at it on a country-by-country level and say some are doing well and some are are not doing so well, Uh, and it's the global population uh, that counts. And and there's absolutely no doubt, you know, there's a question mark over uh, over that and uh, and how do we can control that. And there's there's different predictions, by the way, on on how that's uh, how that's going to grow. I mean, there's some saying, you know, it's going to grow 1% a year uh, up to 2020 and half that by 2050. So actually the global population, the growth rate is going to, it's slow. There's some predictions saying we're going to reach 9 billion and then stabilize or even decline, although the UN, their forecast is saying we're going to reach 11.2 billion by the end of this century, which seems like a lot, doesn't it? Rather more than we have now. And can the can, can we support that? 
But let's look at an individual country by an individual country, mm. because that question about big Australia becomes then becomes a bit of a uh, an economic argument, doesn't it? I mean, if, if if you could fit more people in, for example, if Australians got used to having smaller houses, uh, you know, come and live in England and see how we live here, uh, then you could fit in twice as many people by halving the size of houses. But the price you pay in Australia is, uh, I think, a monopoly issues, aren't they? So you look at, for example. Coles and Woolworths has got, got a duopoly in the uh, in the grocery market, uh, and the big four banks in Australia account for ninety four percent of the banking sector. The big biggest four banks in the US account for less than a quarter. So you've got all of those things where you've got this market concentration in Australia. And a big chunk of that has to be because it's a smaller population. There's not room for more players to come into the market. So there, the size of the population is an issue, isn't it? Well, this is the, I mean, there's an economic argument in favour of a larger population for a country like Australia. I'm actually in favour of saying we've got a reducing population globally, uh, including Australia. So I'm, I'm sort of torn on this particular one. Mm. But if you want to look at the capacity to have, you know, large scale innovation, creative companies and so on, then yes, you, you need, need a, population. a, large, a yeah. population, isn't it? And that's partly why the European Union was formed, because the belief was they could no chance of competing against the America, which had, you know, a population now has a population, what, about 350, 370 million, and one market, a market across that entire country. They saw no chance of themselves competing unless they created the industrial behemoths working across the same scale. And that hasn't been as effective as they would have liked it to be, but it's had some effect. And uh, again, that's an argument in favour of a larger population for an area. Um, uh, it's also an argument as to why a country like America becomes dominant in the first place. And I've seen this very well argued by a couple of American institutions uh, that if, if you look at America, what you have is a there's the, what the Appalachian Range down the east coast. You have um, is it the Rockies that go up? The Rockies in the middle, I think, and there's um. There's a coastal range of some sort along California. I don't know my geography all that well. But the enormous plains area um, means you've got this huge open market, all using the one currency and all speaking the same language. So you get the capacity for a huge uh, economy to boom there. Now, what other country applies to the same thing? Little old China, mm. uh, which, again, I mean, until you start getting to the uh, – you've got plenty of you know, dramatic landscapes in China, but until you start getting to the Tibetan steppes, You've got a, a gigantic land area, which can give you a gigantic market and to sell into, and then you get that scale innovation, which is not possible for smaller countries like Australia or, let's say, Sweden. And you don't uh, get those competition issues that uh, that you well maybe you do in, <laughs> do in China because uh, a lot of it's state owned, but certainly in the United States, I mean, you get that that diversity, and if you get too much market concentration. That's not good, not just from a competitive point of view, but also from a, you know, in terms of inequality, because you're going to get those companies doing rather well, overcharging, and uh, all those high earnings are going to go to the investors, and the poor people are going to pay the higher prices. So you you, you get rising inequality, don't you, that, that way? No, you get that. It's not too bad in America either, mate. So I don't think that's, that's not exactly a major, a major point. Mm. But I think the pop population uh, one for countries... Uh, I mean, we could, the reason this is becoming an issue is because people are being driven out of various regions and they're wanting, wanting to move because they simply want to survive by moving. And if you take a look at the, um, the Middle East, 
and say, what's the population pressure there? Then it's enormous because, again, on the same, like Iran, for example, has a, a capacity, a tiny capacity per person. This reflects the population as well as the landscape as well. That's why Australia's number is so large per person. It's got a capacity of 0.8 GHA. It's using 3.4. So it's running a deficit of 2.6 per annum. If you take a look at the hotspot of Syria, and I'm trying to locate it on the map right now. There we go. Okay, Syria has a capacity of 0.5, a footprint of 1.5. So it's minus one per year. Now, given the environmental pressures that apply in that part of the world, as well as the war that's broken out there as well, uh, that's why people are leaving. And the whole of North Africa is in the same situation. So we're getting people pressed out of areas which are overstressed. And the way they're heading is the areas which not necessarily are less stressed, but have a higher income capacity, higher ability to absorb it. That attracts those people, and that's what's leading to the, the rising racism we're seeing these days. But it's a no-brainer, isn't it, that people are going to go to wealthier countries if they believe they're going to have a higher standard of living. You're never going to stop that. Yeah, and you, what, we, what we have is a planet in stress, and this is the whole population issue. Uh, if you go back to the Limits to Growth study uh, back in 1972-73, uh, the Every alternative scenario they ran failed to avoid a ecological crisis unless it also included reduction in population. So, and I think that's I think we're pushing ourselves into that region right now because forty or fifty years on, we have you know, we, we've ended up in the situation they were warning us not to get trapped in. But uh, but it sounds like you're also saying you know a bigger Australia might not be a bad thing from an from an economic point of view from an ecological point of view would be uh, would be hitting the the edge of where we want to go but from an economic point of view because it's going to create more uh, more competition it's going to create more jobs more opportunities and more innovation then um, well look you'd be uh, let me make it easier for you the uh, proponents of the big Australia if you, if you think back 10 years it was uh, Julie Gillard and Kevin Rudd the person most fiercely opposed to it was Tony Abbott which side do you want to jump on Steve? Unfortunately <laughs> on this time I'm going to be on Tony's side really okay yes I am because it, okay, again as a, a global phenomenon we are overstressing the planet dramatically yeah. and it is it, yes it is wealth income distribution but is it, but is it adding to the population if you're taking people from one country and they're going to Australia, for example, where the birth rate is probably lower because they're, uh, you know, because their kids are going to be uh, playing computer games and watching telly rather than procreating, uh, and you know, you'd hope working hard as well. Um, then, uh, the, then that's adding less to the planet, isn't it? You know, the because we're you know we're seeing s- slower gr- natural growth rates in uh, in developed economies, but, but low birth rates than than we are in developing economies. I still think we've gone, we're well past the carrying capacity of the planet. We have to recognise that and reverse direction mm. in every sense, including population. And, uh, you know, we're not going to distribu- do it. I guess it's the distribution of po- that population I'm, I'm trying to get to. We don't want to have, uh, you know, situations as we've spoken about in the past where Greece, for example, is losing population. But, uh, but we, you know, can we slow the growth by redistribution, and is that redistribution exercise actually going to make us wealthier? Uh, it, ain't, it, ain't, it ain't feasible. And the reason is, if you look at the areas that are red and stressed compared to the ones that are green and not stressed, uh, the, the, the only parts of the world you could actually move into in any safe fashion uh, and, and having plenty of spare capacity, uh, Brazil, let's go live in the Amazon, Angola, oh, sorry, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. 
We don't want to go. We don't want to go to the Amazon because they're chopping down enough trees as it is. So that's bad. For that's the right. Okay. So and democratic republic of the Congo is not good for your health either. So they're in Central African Republic and so on. They're, 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 those are the regions where there's low population. Uh, Namibia and Madagascar um, and Papua New Guinea. Uh, even even um, you know Indonesia is. I think the whole continent of uh, of PNG would be okay, but it's just PNG. Happy to get anything out okay because the other half's concluded in Indonesia. But the level of stress you're looking at, you look at this map, this is a holy shit map. Mm. But it's okay. politics. It's po- I mean, there's no reason, is there, why Papua New Guinea, for example, apart from politics, would be any different to to Northern Australia. Climatically, it's the same. You'd be able to support the same, you know, population per uh, whatever you want to call it, per square kilometre. Um, it, it's um, it, it's just politics that's that's making those places unlivable. Well, it's it's also um, and agriculture and, and industry and manufacturing capacity and so on. But we we simply don't have enough regions to move to. There's no equilibrium here. Mm. If you try to redistribute, you're not going to solve the problem. Another country, by the way, which is a great one to move to, relatively speaking, not as good as uh, Brazil or Central African Republic, is Russia. That's going to happen in a hurry, isn't it? Um, Mongolia is not bad either. You're picking picking the eyes out of places we aren't totally overstressing with population already, and there isn't much to go. So I think right. if we, we if, have to, yeah. if we weren't going to try and save the planet, then let's 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 uh, let's just look at this uh, from a from a single country's point of view. If I was the Prime Minister of Australia, uh, would I want the population to stay as it is? Would I look for slow growth? In other words, how do we arrive at what is the optimum population for a country? Ignoring the uh, uh, the strain that we're placing on the uh, the environment uh, and and the world as a whole, if we're just looking to say, well, okay economically, short-term economically, before economics collapses because there's not enough resources because we've mm. used them all, mm. is there a point at which we can say this is the optimum population? For example, is it income per capita? If we say, well, okay, if we have any more, that income's going to start to to slide or uh, is there some other measure? How, how can we tell, you know, if Australia is at whatever it is right now, 20, 28 million, is it something like that? If it's If that's the right, how do we know that's the right number rather than 34, for example? Well, it also depends on the rate of growth of that number, and this is one point which people who are critics of big Australia, and I said I'm, I'm putting myself in that category, include is that when you're growing uh, rapidly, and Australia is one of those countries, the population is growing very rapidly courtesy of migration, uh, then you have to be putting in more infrastructure, broadening your infrastructure, more roads, more houses, right. uh, more not better houses, which is more jobs, better, better, better roads. You're not deepening your technological capabilities. You're extending what you've currently got, and of course that takes technology to do it. But you but said, but you not- said yourself, the you know the load, you know uh, in an earlier episode, the larger the you know the more people you have. Uh, oh, if I use, I'll do that again. Sorry, you said yourself um, that you know the, pop, the the bigger the population, um, then um, you know the, the the greater the diversity. You're not having those uh, those monopoly issues, for example. But it's in the transition to get there, uh, you you have to have um, if you're building infrastructure in that process, you you can grow too rapidly. Mm. You can put okay, a rate of growth lets the population expand. Um, if you've got a target level to reach, if you do that too quickly, then most of your infrastructure expenditure is going to go into what's called capital broadening rather than capital deepening. And that's a major issue, again, for some of the proponents of a smaller Australia in this case, uh, that 
we have just been we, we haven't gone into you know developing like Switzerland style technology uh, because we've been building Australian style roads and they're saying if we actually want to start putting our uh, uh, in, in, in intelligence and investment into capital deepening then we need to grow at a slower rate uh, rather than growing at the, the breakneck speed the population is growing at at the moment which I think is like one of the highest in the world in fact. But if you, uh, you do have the issue though that people are all living in cities in Australia. If you if you had population growth and they're all going into the cities, people would have smaller houses. And they would. Uh, I've obviously got this hang up about the fact they now live in England. I live in a much smaller house than I did in Australia. But I mean, you would have. There's benefits though in people living closer together, aren't there? There's economies of scale that create in terms of how you consume goods. Uh, you're using energy more efficiently. Uh, it's it's easier to you know then you, and because people are working close together, then you do get those synergies and those opportunities for innovation that you're talking about. Uh, if you mm. if you've got a population that is uh, too spread out, which you know Australia is, um, then you lose those opportunities. So I mean, you wouldn't say that Australia should stay at the same level it is now, would you? Uh, I would say it's got to go backwards, frankly. Oh, really? Again, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, but in terms, of if, you, if you if you if you could leave out the ecological, which of course you can't because we are at this turning point on the planet, um, then yes, I would want to see a larger population to enable that innovation to occur, and I, we'd also have to be involved massively in trying to green the country because a large part of that desert probably has been generated by human farming te- te- techniques and uh, and an interest in microclimate effects. And interestingly enough, one way to address it may be to treble. Uh, rather than uh, rather than halve the number of cattle in the country. That's a, a fascinating argument I've just seen recently on YouTube uh, from a specific expert. Somebody in the in the Patreon community uh, recommended to take a look at it. Uh, and I've got to try to find his name again at the moment. A theorist, a, a practical biologist, who found that by reducing uh, the, the level of elephants, literally by culling a large number of elephants. Uh, the level of land degradation rose and he finally realised by an exhaustive process over time that the way to regenerate the ground and to increase its capacity and to enable it to absorb more carbon as it happens uh, was to treble the number of cattle uh, over what was regarded as as proper um, carrying levels and move them around as if they were being attacked by by predators. That movement, you generated a microclimate and a and a micro fertilization issue that meant you got crops regenerating and you improved the local climate. Right. So, but there's going to be uh, less focus with, with, a, with a declining population. There, there's going to be less impetus to do that. There's going to be less innovation. You talked about, you know, the need for innovation. If you've got a declining population, then you're putting less pressure on it. So there's less need for people to to look for those solutions. And and similarly, you know, Coles and Woolworths will just become Coles or Woolworths, and we'll have the the the, the big two banks uh, claiming ninety five percent of the the Australian banking sector. We wouldn't have would have less competition. We'd have that more concentration of wealth, wouldn't we? If we if we had a declining population in Australia, so that comp- potentially, I mean, you've, 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 you've innovation gets worse, competition gets worse. Yeah, and it's, it's it's as some of my colleagues talk about it. It's a mates a mates market. Mm. The mates in mentality dominates the place because of the sure smallness does. of size. Yeah, uh, yeah. So how do you how do you solve that problem while tackling the other side, which you, you know, which is saving the planet? Well, I think you've got, you've got to look at, to save the planet, what are we going to be doing? And it's a massive reduction in our human footprint on the, on this planet, which I think is going to be impossible to achieve in any, um, in any peaceful fashion, unfortunately. 
Um, but I, again, I think that's got dominance over anything you might say about a, a local country's uh, capacity to innovate. And what you need, and, and again, in that sense, uh, a lot of innovation these days uh, is produced by international collaboration through the internet rather than requiring uh, massive uh, you know, local industries. However, to actually put those things into effect, you've got to have the massive market. You, you would never build a, a chip fabrication plant in Australia, for example, but you simply don't have the population to support it. Well, it's a discussion, isn't it? It's, uh, I, and uh, look, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I just think if the, and I certainly agree with you that this, that, you know, that, that we can't sustain the population growth on the planet as a whole. Certainly if we follow those UN projections that says we're going to have 11.2 billion by the end of this century. Um, but I just wonder about the distribution element of it and, uh, and whether that, you know, the, the economic rationale for reducing a population in a country in Australia where uh, it, it's already got, you know, if, if people, if the Australian population increases and it's decreasing the population somewhere else, uh, is that a bad thing? Um, I think it's, you know, I've got real problems about this one because I think that that is meaning we don't address the problems of why people are moving in the first instance. Why do people migrate? And it's not because they're attracted by the bright lights. It's because they've been driven away by the bright lights, otherwise known as bombs and, uh, and climate breakdown. And if you look at what's actually driving a large part of the migration we're experiencing, which is causing all these problems in Europe right now in particular, um, it, it is driven by political conflict, military conflict, which the West has often created, plus also uh, the climate breakdown, which is leading to some of the domestic conflict that leads to this becoming something the international players uh, get involved in so, as well. So you're saying if we, don't, if we don't let people move away from those zones, those war zones, then we won't address... If we, let, if we keep them there, then we're going to have to address the issue, uh, whereas if we let them move, uh, then we, we ignore the issue. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, we, we make the place more... I mean, this is what we ignore the issue argue. anyway. We ignore the I'm issue not. anyway. We've ignored Syria for years. I mean, we, Yeah, and I've seen, I've seen plenty of... Uh, like after with the apparent defeat of ISIS, there's a, a couple of people I follow on Twitter who are the Syrians, and they're making the case that Syria is reviving now that the, uh, the attempt to cause regime change is, is collapsing. And uh, the, 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 I think... Uh, I think you got the leader's name, Bahir Baskar. His mm. his regime being reimposed is actually meaning you've now got a regeneration of the of the culture, and people are potentially moving potentially moving back there again. Uh, whether that happens is another open story. But if you make these places unlivable, of course people are going to want to move away from them, not because they want to move, but because they want to live, and uh, and that's a huge part of the motivation behind the migration, which is causing the breakdown we're seeing. Globally, so you can't address this in the recipient countries without leading to the sort of right-wing fascist behaviour we're seeing, and people dying in the Mediterranean and internment camps in Australia or off, off, offshore, but run by Australia. Uh, that's your alternative. The other end, it's let's rebuild these countries, let's stop the let's stop the military conflict, let's make it attractive to return, and for most people, make it attractive to return to where they were born and raised. That's where they go. All right, one final point then, because because uh, you didn't you did mention it when we, you know I was talking about this uh, th- this competition issue or lack of competition issue. You said you know and the need for innovation. You you pointed to well you know that was one of the good ideas. I think you said something positive about the EU. Does the, I mean is that part of the solution? In fact, that we we need to broaden our definition of what 
countries are or to establish more trading blocks like the EU, would that solve the problem? If we've got lots of countries of a small population, we don't need to worry about what the optimum population from that country is from an economic point of view if they're part of a, a broader group of countries, like the United well, States is a collection of states. You know, this, this is an argument in favour of a larger market to enable more innovation to occur, mm. and that is why America has been successful. Uh, a guy called Bob Rothorn, who's actually um, speaking at a, a forthcoming economics conference, I just noticed a moment ago as a keynote speaker. Uh, Bob Rothorn made that case, and I saw it back when I was doing my uh, master's degree back at, uh, at New South uh, university and his argument was that the with increasing scale you get e- economies of scale you get increasing innovation as well which is the you know the strong case behind why america is the dominant country on the planet and why china is the one that's coming up to rival it europe can't manage the same thing because america and china both share uh, both have a, a you know an open plane easy movement across the entire continent uh, and they have the same language and the same monetary system. Mm. Uh, UK, uh, Europe trying that the, to achieve it, it mm. which just the monetary system uh, with, without the without the fiscal system and without the uh, the open without the easy movement across large parts of the continent as well. Mm. Well, of course, that's what the EU, you know, people are criticising the EU for wanting to achieve ultimately. Freedom of movement, single currency, uh, you know, in effect, one one nation. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 if it was done with a fiscal union as well, right in the very outset, then it could have worked. But by doing it without a fiscal union, by putting a fiscal hem, uh, hemlock on the headlock on the, on the economies, the states, then it made it a failed experiment. Mm. All right. Okay. We'll leave it there. A, a GHA, by the way, is Global Hectare, which is based on the world average for biological productivity for a hectare. So some land might be less productive, some might be more, but if you take the global average, you get a global hectare. Uh, so there we are. That's the answer to that question. But as to the size of the population, look, we're not going to solve that, are we? Because the world hasn't solved the problem, but interesting to get your take on uh, Australia in particular, where you'd actually like to see a smaller Australia. Uh, Good to talk, Steve. Okay. We don't always have to agree. I just look at Australia and see just uh, massive monopolies or duopolies, which amount to almost the same thing, and the government having to to step in and do things uh, equally as inefficiently, which seems to be the way a lot of Australia operates. But anyway, that's it for this time. Next time, hey, look, we're going to look at total free market. Milton Friedman, we're going to uh, try and fact-check Friedman uh, next time. Uh, Where do these theories go wrong? You should have a bit of fun with that one. That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.